All right, welcome to the Joe Danier podcast. I am your host. Uh, if you listen to the previous episode, it was kind of a sad little episode. I was very publicly sorting through my thoughts, trying to compartmentalize everything and trying to rebound from what would be considered just a typical bad day. And I got inside my head a little bit and it was a little bit sad and I felt like ganged up on and uh, I was really like my brain was urging me to be a victim and seek pity and did all the normal things that people do. Uh, but I really had to figure out quick how to rebound. I, I kind of give myself that 24 hour period to be able to sort through those things before it's time to like move on and get something accomplished. Uh, because I think that, you know, hopelessness and despair uh, joins those feelings if you dig deep enough because you can find negativity and you can find, you know, a lot of bad in just about everything. So uh, I got beyond that, rebounded like the next day, and I was feeling pretty good and pretty optimistic. Uh, but when I was sorting through those feelings, one of the themes that came up is that when I'm, I'm embarking on a lot of brand new stuff, and I think what happens is like you you hear, you know, we, we go out in the marketplace and we find people that are practicing stuff the way we would like to practice as sort of like there's proof of it that there's best practices that somebody's already doing it successfully before we decide, you know, we're going to do it too. And when you look at some of these things that people have been doing for years and years and years in the public is that they get to be bad at those things for long periods of time before they get good. And so like when you're young and you start into something like athletics or, you know, something in theater or music, um, you're allowed to be really terrible at the beginning. And everybody kind of gives you a pass on that because you're young and you're just getting started and, you know, you got to earn up into those things. As you progress and you get into new stuff, your tolerances for being bad at stuff go way down. And so when you're practicing and in comparison to seasoned professionals, you feel a little inadequate. And so today's uh, topic is, is just that, is like, how do you dig up enough grace for yourself that allows you to do something long enough before you get good at it? Because in reality, you are going to be bad. There are very few things that you go right off the get-go and you're, uh, you're good at. I mean, this could be stuff simple as you know playing a game like, uh, you know, picking up a game of basketball or cornhole or, uh, you know, backyard football. And if you've never done it before, you look like an idiot and you can't, uh, you, you, you know, you can't hardly but poke fun at yourself and mock yourself for just how bad you are in comparison to people who do it on a regular basis. And so that's just a sport for fun. What about when you start practicing in a brand new category? What if you started creating a podcast or what if you started doing blogging or participating on social media? I mean, think about your grandparents when you give them, you know, a new electronics device and how long it takes their brain to sort of figure out how to make that thing useful and how bad they are at it for a period of time. And, you know, it, it's almost like if you've got an advantage to it, you don't see uh, how hard it is to get to new thing until you have a, a huge contrast like that with somebody who's yourself included, not good at something. And so I think human beings shy away from stuff we're not good at because we do not want to feel inadequate. We don't want to feel stupid and we don't want to feel inadequate. So a lot of the, um, the barrier from people getting into new stuff is simply because they, uh, they, they don't want to feel terrible at a new thing. Well, what's nice about my operations 
and what fits my personality really well is that I like to experiment without anybody watching me experiment. So when I record myself or I, you know, creating a new thing or working on a new project, the worst thing in the world is having a spectator watch me fumble around. Like even people who produce, um, you know, experimental videos, unboxings, whatever, you got to think about how much production goes into it to make it feel polished because there was so much bumbling around during the production that you know that would not be interesting, but it would be useful because it would inspire and encourage people that say, hey, look, even somebody who's, you know, wicked smart and wicked sophisticated in this department got in over here and look, he's a bumbling fool like I am. And I think it would encourage a lot more people to start without a lot less polish because they wouldn't get criticisms. Now, my personality is I'm a little bit of an introvert. So I like being alone anyway. I don't need assurances. I don't like need encouragement. Um, criticisms are cool, but it's all data. But if you give me criticisms, I, I go introspective and I take your criticisms and I will see how true they are and I will ferret out data within those, uh, you know, criticisms. And, you know, you could sort of like completely paralyze me by just bringing up a fleeting thought to me because I would take it super serious. So it's, I have to almost go into my laboratory. So my studio and, and all the places that I do most of my writing experiments, I do completely alone and I do it for months if not years before I ever do it publicly I already know that there's going to be some polish on it by the time that I'm ready to put it out there and some of you who are ahead of me and you watch these podcasts or this, this content creation um, have have given me like this some of this stuff is just awful like terrible and it's not something that I would even watch or listen to and then some people I get you know messages that say this is life-changing and thank you for producing this. So I have to take that spectrum and know the people who think that I shouldn't even be doing this versus the people who found a complete uh, inspiration in it. And I got to figure out who I'm creating this content for. Am I creating it for people who, you know, don't need it? Probably not. But, but those, uh, but those messages that it's life-changing. I, when I um, sort of like put that through its paces and super analyze it, um, I find that no matter what, there are always going to be people ahead of you and there's always going to be people behind you, which means no matter where you're at, there's going to be somebody better than you. Um, and think about musicians like you, you might be a really good musician, but guess what? There's a better one out there. And there's also someone who's just getting started. And so I'm, I've crafted what I do as I have 50%. I'm making these numbers up, but 50% of my day is completely ferreted out and practical. And that 50% has to carry everything else. It has to give me all of the emotional energy that I need. It has to give me all the financial support that I need. So if nothing else works out in the other 50% of my day, it doesn't matter because the tried and true right, will carry the load of everything else. And that way it puts very little pressure on any new stuff to actually be productive or any good. And it gives me lots of time to be able to go through it and get it and craft it and polish it and do whatever I need to to make it something that I can be proud of. So the standard equals my standard. And the criticisms help me to improve my standard, but it is not the arbiter of what I am, am working on at all. Uh, if you took public criticism and only worked on stuff that the public said that was uh, that, that was good enough to, to be viewing, um, you would be, 
you know, you would be down in the dumps. You wouldn't feel real good about yourself or what you're, you're producing. Um, it, you know, I run a studio and I allow lots of different types of content to be created. Everything from podcasters to audiobooks to also, you know, musicians and, and comedians. And one of the popular theme among those musicians is they feel like that when they are on stage and their audience is cheering for them, they almost feel that they are an imposter because they know just they are not as good as the people think they are. They make mistakes. So in their brain, they're hypercritical of what they're doing, and they almost don't, aren't deserving of the cheers or the recognition that they're getting. And they use it as inspiration to practice harder, practice longer, and get better at their craft. And that is the healthy nature of it. But if you ask them if they, if they were to choose, like their ambition gets them on that stage, right? But their humility makes them keep themselves in check. Now, that's a healthy relationship between those two uh, you know, opposing forces. But what happens if you would do something publicly for the first time where you felt really good about singing? Like if you went on American Idol and your parents and your friends told you that you were an amazing singer and you went in front of the panel of, you know, people who judge professional singers and they were like, yeah, you should, you know, get another profession. Think about how many people would hang it up at that point because they couldn't endure that, you know, that's, that uh, criticism and they would believe it and they would hang it up. Uh, I also sat with a uh, an actress who was uh, describing sitting through their own premiere. And when they were watching themselves on the screen, they couldn't help but notice every blemish, every line flub, every mistake that they made because they were there. They went through the rehearsals. They made the mistake. So they were almost embarrassed to even be in the movie during the premiere because of how badly they think they did. And then they're kind of taken aback by the other people who are watching that say, wow, you did fantastic. This was amazing. Because the audiences, for the most part, in that setting, were not looking for the mistakes, right? And the mistakes were probably so subtle, just like the guitarist, you know, flubbing up a couple chords or whatever. In the whole scheme of what would be the song, like those flub-ups are just a characteristic of the making of music. And so, you know, I, I think as hypercritical as our, our our world is, there's a lot of unpracticing people who are just too scared to go out there and do things publicly because they know as soon as they say it, do it, sing it, whatever, there's going to be somebody who says, oh, that is terrible. And they're almost looking for the criticisms as an out to stop doing it. Now, I'm I'm a huge advocate for getting genius that's sitting on the sideline that doesn't have, uh, you know, sort of, it's they, they have the capacity to create, but they just don't have the confidence to create. And those are the people like, what do I want to do? Tell you to go practice your chords so you can uh, be better than the criticisms? Never. I would say practice hearing things that aren't complimentary and still going forward anyway. It's being able to take those criticisms and constructively putting them through some filters so they're not something that causes you to stop doing it. It causes you to um, you know, take the valuable parts out of it. And that's very similar to what I did on, on my bad day. I had all of these stacked bad things that happened that were out of my control and lots of losses. Because I'm telling you, I lose a lot. Like for every uh, win that I have, I probably have 10 losses. 
The difference is that the 10 losses, I, I only give them so much of my energy and time. And so by the time I've worked through things that didn't quite go right, I fished out the things I could do something about, and I've already shelved them. And in some instances, I will take those things back off the shelf later and give them another shot, even though there's an attachment to a loss to it where I'm going to pick it off and say, hey, this one sucked last time. If I let enough time go by, I can forgive myself enough to pick that thing back up and to uh, to trial it out again because I don't have other people saying, you know, your, your family is real bad at this. I mean, if your family cares anything about you, they will give you some uh, because they care about you, they'll give you some advice that says you should protect yourself from how bad it feels to lose. But it also then puts you in a box that you're not going to accomplish, you're not going to try, you're going to miss lots of opportunities uh, ahead of you because of the threat of feeling terrible about putting something in the loss column. And that's what I want to save myself from is that I'm an experimenter. I, I feel best when I'm jumping into new math formulas to try to make them work. That is, that's my sweet spot. But it's also my most vulnerable spot, and i got to be really careful about who I invite in uh, you know, into that spot uh, you know, that, that's going to see me at my most vulnerable, and they have to be responsible enough to only give me what they've thought through. You know, it's kind of terrible. Like, you know, I, I've uh, put projects together that take weeks and weeks and weeks of thought. So I got like weeks of... of research and writing my thoughts down and trying to overcome some of the impossibilities and some of those thoughts. And then you, you hang that idea in front of someone who gives it like 30 seconds worth of thought. So all you get is emotional gut reaction from that person. And it's, it's awful to hear the words that have no, like you've got intelligence and formulas behind it. It might be bad. They might be completely right, but the superficial part of it, the part that's right on top, is not going to be its prettiest. It's going to be, it's going to fail. It's, a, it's not, uh, it doesn't have enough support. There's not enough people believe in it. So in, you know, coming from a technology deal, I, I look at, um, you know, technology has this adoption curve where when new technology is floated out, you have these different, four different distinct categories or different people and how quickly they warm up to a technology. So when I say like, hey, let's do a new thing, right? We can even use electric cars, for instance, or solar or anything that's brand new. When anything comes out, no matter how good it is, you're going to have some people that say it's not going to work because on paper, they're 100% right. It only doesn't work until it does. And then that same person is going to say, hey, I guess that does work. I'm on board finally. Well, your job is not to win over the people that are only going to wait until something's proven, right? That is the worst time to make an investment, right? It, when something already works and anybody can do it and the hard work's already done, those people are not my preferred audience for uh, unearthing a new design development or idea. The people that see potential and think and use their imagination to see through the reasons that it's already not working, those are the people that you want your first level of, uh, of sort of like uh, advice assignment. Uh, you want to coax those things in the people who you're you're painting the vision of what this could be you want them to overemphasize the possibility and underemphasize the reasons why it's not already being done because those are already known like if it's not already being done is already built into that and through engineering and math and um and just brute force sometimes uh, developers and creators make things exist and that's this whole process where it's it's not 
um, you know, it's not for everyone to go through this because there's some really downsides and there's some really hard moments that you have to coax your way through. Uh, support system, people that will encourage you. Uh, again, I, I go back into my laboratory and do I want someone critical? No. Do I want someone over supportive? Probably not either because either don't really help me. If I give, you know, people who care about me and want to tell me I'm doing a great job and pat me on the back when it's really un, not, you know, not authentic is probably just as bad as someone who wants to discourage you and tell you not to do it because it's a, a fool's errand and it's a dangerous thing. So stuff to think about. And it's a, it's, it's a good lesson after a recovery day of having a bad day, 180 into a really hyper, uh, you know, sort of hyper, hyper productive following day. So there you go. This has been the Joe Danier podcast.